We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by Publishers Clearinghouse, the leading media and commerce company serving America's heartland. Today, joining us is Martin Morse, who's a senior level executive building and growing brands from Fortune 2000 to Fortune 500. Let's jump in and get to know Martin. Martin, welcome. How are you? Very good. Thanks, guys, for having me. Excited to be here. Appreciate it. Oh, we're excited too, man. And for our audience that may or may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you were born and raised? And tell us a little bit about Martin. Yeah, for sure. So born Army brat, Fort Dix, New Jersey. As a very young guy, my dad then got shipped down to Florida to take a position at NASA. So like a couple months old, I was already down in Florida, and basically that's where I grew up, Central, South Florida, all over, and jumped around quite a bit. Just, you know, mother was in the hospitality business. So yeah, that was life. And then went to school in in New Orleans, Loyola University, played some hoops there, ran some track there, made my way overseas, played professional basketball overseas for for like a cup of coffee or, or an espresso, rather in Europe (laughs) and quickly determined that it just wasn't an avenue I wanted to pursue, right? Like how long would it take for me to get back to the United States and play in the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. And so I decided to move into a vocation that kind of found me. Actually, I was on wall street for 12 years. So I was living, literally, I was living down in South Africa and I was like, this is like 1999, just like literally apartheid like we're fresh off of the like freedom, right? South Africa just kind of opened up and things were going in the direction of democracy, but it was kind of, it was like the wild west. And so it was really great as a young kid, you know, with a little bit of money in my pocket from, from playing pro ball. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to stay here. There's opportunity. And the dollar was like incredibly strong. Mm. And of course, you know, the family was like, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. So fast forward, I got on a plane from South Africa straight to New York. And then um, I had an interview with a founder, president, owner of, a, of basically the largest clearing corporation for commodities in the United States and had an interview, offered me a gig. I came back and then spent 12 years down there on the, on the New York Mercantile Exchange trading natural gas and crude oil. And then from there, went into building out my own firm for athletes and, and high-profile personalities, celebrities, and entertainers. Because I just, from my perspective, all of the friends in the community that I brought with me from my time in college and mentors that I actually had the opportunity to learn under in the sports space, all were calling me for unsolicited, you know, hey, I just, I, I trust you. I know you're, I know you're a friend. You'll point me in the right direction. Like, what can I do to get my brand here? And why is the, you know, my teammate who's got the locker next to me, I know his contract is smaller, but he's got a better marketing deal. His agent is better. His house is bigger. He's got more car. Like, what am I doing wrong? So I kind of started making those relationship introductions and I took some time off of, of trading commodities, like just completely burnt out. And then um, I, I just kept getting those calls. So I was like, okay, there's something here. So I created a, a financial mentorship platform where I, I didn't want to manage money. 
I just wanted to give girls and guys advice because I just felt like it was missing, right? Like there's no reason that a professional athlete or an entertainer or high profile celeb or whomever should not feel like they are not in control or a CEO of the brand in which they are building or have built. Mm -hmm. And then to have a conversation offline with folks where it's like, I can't tell my agent that I don't know what they're doing. I can't tell my money manager that I don't know what they're doing because essentially they work for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so then I don't trust them in the first place. So if I admit that they're like completely, you know, there's gray area or space around our dynamic, then, oh, I'm totally getting taken advantage of. So that's what we did for a little while. And then of course that plugged into financial management. We were managing money just because it was just a natural fit. And then from there, the interesting bridge into marketing and brand services was we wanted to protect all the IP of our clients. And I was very fortunate. We had an amazing our first three clients were huge professional athletes, right? Mm. So we had an opportunity to create basically a poster child for what fiscal responsibility meant, what brand building actually looked like. And this is, you know, pre-social media. So we were attacking it from just the financial perspective, like the private equity side. And, and so instead of doing like these huge ambassadorship deals up front, we would take the opportunity to say, well, listen, he makes several million dollars a year. He doesn't need the money up front. But what we could do is take a lesser cut up front, but a bigger piece of the back end with some equity built in into the company because we know what we're going to do in the marketplace when we actually inject that profile into the marketing campaigns, right? So mm -hmm. from there, it just went into this, well, how do we protect the IP of our client? We don't like the way you guys are shaping this this marketing campaign, can we actually put our, our little bit of two cents into that program and campaign? And it ended up working and these companies were great. They welcomed the, the conversations and the back and forth and then shaping those campaigns. And from a business perspective, we started looking at some of the mechanisms that were in place. Then we just were questioning. We were like, well, why are you guys doing X, Y, and Z this way? You know, Maybe on the operations side, you should do this. You don't have to take our word for it, but maybe try it. And it was those conversations that started to shape the brand advisory and then the full service creative agency that actually was birthed out of that agency that, that we initially started. And yeah, so that was kind of it in a nutshell from that standpoint of going through the, the progression of these really cool, I guess, markets that I was involved in. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. from professional sports to wall street to, you know, trading and then private equity and then money management and then actual brand building it all, it all just kind of worked together. And then from there went into the, um, onto the brand side, instead of the agency side, I was with bulletproof for the last three years and recently just, just left there, which we could get into. I chatted with you guys sure. a little bit before the show, but yeah, so that's where we're at now. Sorry to be so long-winded. No, no, that's that's where we're fascinated about <laughs> how interesting your background is, which I think is yeah. is uh, tremendous, you know. And I want to ask you a little bit about Florida, New Jersey, South yeah. Africa, New York, you know, uh, all of your great experience that you just described with work in all the different markets. And then also spending time in all those different places. Yeah. How did that impact you from an identity and sort of who you are today perspective? 
incredible impact. So you're listening, so you can't see us, but my father is African-American and my mother is Croatian. And so for me, it was an interesting dynamic for me growing up, especially in the South, right? Like my black side is North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then having the ability to, to travel all throughout the South, but in rooms, you're kind of not always black enough and you're not always quote unquote white enough, right? And so it, it allows for interesting opportunities to actively listen. Right. And, and really, and really hear people and then also be able to just be injected into the stream of day to day with different communities. Right. So mm-hmm. I went to school in New Orleans and for me, that was huge. Right. Cause at the time, New Orleans, I think the per black per capita was like over 90%. It was pre, pre um, hurricane Katrina. Those numbers are significantly different now post Katrina, but mm-hmm. it was incredibly impactful. And then having the ability to travel all around the world, you know, my mom being in hospitality and family being in Croatia and all throughout Europe, you know, young single mom, she took her two kids everywhere she went because it was just difficult to to manage that, right? Being a a businesswoman and an executive and then having to balance motherhood and take these little, you know, these little whippersnappers everywhere. So it, it was a great experience for me to be able to see how different communities lived and then what impacted those communities and how from food to music to, you know, where people are spending their free time, how they're spending their free time. If we're close to the ocean, if you're, you know, landlocked, all, all that stuff really factored into, I guess the best way to put it is into the, I guess, into the gumbo pot that made up my outlook and and life views, right? And then also significant amount of empathy, right? Like like some communities just don't have X or Y or Z, or some communities just have too much of X, Y, or Z. So how does that balance then shape, you know, opportunities to either do business or, or just create community and tribe and so on and so forth. And that tremendously impacted me or impacts me to this day, especially in, you know, in the marketing side, on the brand side and in companies that I'm either advising or or working for. That was definitely where I was going with my next question, Martin, is, is because of your background, because of being biracial, because of what you just said, that level of empathy, can we get into a little bit of just how does that actually impact your approach to marketing and as well? Yeah. It impacted in a big way, but I will say this, and this is kind of universal and, and, and every time that I have the pleasure of speaking to either a board or a chairman, chairwoman, the common denominator, the foundation, the base is always the same. If you are, I don't care if you are a fortune 10 company or you're a startup and you're bootstrapping your story and your mission and your purpose have to be the number one keystone or cornerstone in which you build your entire business on. Mm. And that just shouldn't change at all when you're talking to different communities, demographics, age brackets, et cetera. But being able to have a communication or conversation, a valid communication or a meaningful communication conversation with those different demographics is always going to be where the magic or the art is. And, you know, from my experience, being able to, move in and out of different communities and cultures 
is a huge plus, huge plus is, you know, what matters to one, you know, community in Walla Walla, Washington does not matter in, let's call it, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. Right. Definitely. And, you know, the last time, and you touched on this a minute ago, the last time you and I spoke, you know, we were on a a panel together at at an event. And at that time you were at Bulletproof. And I think since you've moved on, would love to understand why you moved on and and sort of what you're up to these days. Yeah, sure. So, you know, for me, and I would imagine everybody can, can say this to some degree, 2020 has presented challenges and opportunities. And and it really is just your perspective. Mm. And for me, adversity is, adversity is, is fantastic. It's an opportunity for you to understand more about yourself. It's an opportunity for you to understand, you know, your work or your community or the people that are in your circle even more so, right? So I think 2020 for me opened up a couple of of corridors that I didn't know were closed. Right. So, you know, in business, you just kind of put your head down. The task is in front of you. You manage your teams, you know, you push out good work and then like, you know, rinse, repeat, and then keep going, keep going, keep pushing, you know, expand market share and, and, and so on and so forth. And for me, I think in the position that I was at, you know, senior VP of brand strategy for a sizable consumer packaged goods company, you know, I was of the position that we should be talking to as many as many demographics as possible. And it was great because it, at that company, we got a chance to speak to a huge demographic from 13, 14 years old to 80 plus, like really unique and almost perfectly bifurcated male, female, almost like 50, 50 in any given week. And, you know, the one thing that I noticed is that we're not communicating with certain communities that would love to have more knowledge and more education, especially when it comes to what it is you're putting into your body and and that health education and not only the education of what that does for you physically, but also mentally. And and then just also being really open to a conversation when it comes to, you know, food security and and so on and so forth. And so for me, it was, it was a, a desire of mine to go really heavily and forcefully into a multicultural market and community. And not only because obviously it, it's personal for me, but because the data reflects it, the numbers reflect it. And it's just that, you know, that goes back to my market days where I understand the ebb and flow of market. And if I had to make a singular bet, if I'm any company that has to make a singular bet right now, whether I offer a service or a widget or whatever, if I'm trying to actually impact sales bracket, I'm going to bet heavily on a multicultural market that's approximately 17 to about 28 years old. Fastest growing demographic on the planet. Outspend the next closest demographic by a margin of three to one in impulse buys. Um, and I could rattle off a bunch of other data, but at the end of the day, if there's one thing that's super clear is if we don't become more inclusive of all communities, you begin to isolate and then fragment those markets and communities. And for me, you know, after George Floyd and the tragedy that happened up there in Minnesota, I was like, okay, let's, let's get purposeful. Like, let's get really meaningful about how we're actually deploying capital 
how we're actually communicating to communities and then what that means. Mm-hmm. That ties back into what I mentioned a bit earlier about purpose and mission, right? Like if your purpose purpose and mission is just to simply give the best the best information when it comes to to business like here on this podcast, then you want to drill down of course into certain subject matter, but if we could be inclusive of every demographic and there's a tool or a tactic or a, or an avenue to do so, then why wouldn't we do that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so I I was you know, as senior VP of strategy, it was my job to prescribe that. And, and I feel very strongly about it. And if that opportunity isn't being met, then, or at least communicated in a way that shows possibility or workability with team and senior leadership, and, you know, then why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, right. I could, I could go back to the agency side and, and continue to build my own agency and have impact. But I truly believe that brands are the top of the pyramid, the pinnacle when it comes to, to brand influence. And we could talk a little bit about that, but, you know, I just think that influencer marketing now is even going in a very different direction. Like it just, it it doesn't, it doesn't mean the same thing and it doesn't generate or yield the same results as it used to. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I, and I think one of the trends that we are seeing this year is exactly what you just said, where, more and more individuals want to work for a company or represent a brand that aligns with their own personal purpose, mission, beliefs. And then on the flip side, on the consumer side, it's the same thing. Yeah. More and more consumers now that are spending dollars with brands, not just because of the brand name or the brand recognition, but because of the purpose behind that brand and does it align with you know, my social beliefs, my environmental beliefs, my racial equality beliefs, all those things you're starting to see come out of, you know, what has been 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the data reflects it, by the way. So that three to one spending for the multicultural 17 to 28 market, that the, the asterisk to that is the money that is spent is being spent on companies that they find purpose in, that they find value in because at the end of the day, it's still a hard earned dollar. And I think that that is even, even more so underscored in, in 2020 than, than it has ever. Yeah. Martin, a question about, about you and a question about some of your experiences. Biracial. Yeah. Wall Street. Yeah. Pro ball. Yeah. South Africa. Yeah. North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, sports and entertainment biz. There has to have been moments where you've like handled issues of discrimination along the way, and when faced yeah. with them, how did you handle them? It, uh, this is this is crazy to say, but unfortunately, I have lots of examples. So, I'll pick one. I'll pick one that was that was pretty impactful for me in my career, and it would happen when I was down on Wall Street. So. And I've never told the story publicly, actually. Mm. And it's significant. So down on the New York Mercantile Exchange, that's it was like, if you guys remember for the audience, if, if you have ever watched Trading Places, that last scene with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy, when they go to the floor and they're screaming and jumping around, and it's, that's what I used to do. And down there on that floor in the energies 
pits, the natural gas, crude oil, heating oil, and lighted gas, there's 890 members, 890 members that actually get to go down there and yell and jump and scream and make lots of money or lose lots of money. And of the 890 members, I was at the time when I first got my, my membership, I was one of five minorities. Everyone else that was a member did not look like us five. And of those five, only two of us were local, what we call local market makers. Those local market makers don't work for anybody. They don't work for a bank. They don't work for a producer. They're not brokers. We literally traded our own money. So what we made, we made. What we lost, we lost. And, and that was it. And so this was right around the time, this is Obama just announced he was going to run for his, his presidency. And so that must have been, what, 2007? into 2007, something like that. And at the time, you know, you have these ebbs and flows in the market. So there's periods of time where the floor is like super quiet or it's like roaring, like you're at a sports game. And it was a moment where it was pretty quiet and we're all hanging out in the natural gas pit. And, and a guy, you know, politics, we're talking politics and Obama's running and whatever, whatever that means. And, and some guy, whom will remain nameless, decides to use the N-word and directs it towards me that I'm an N-word lover and there's no reason that this N guy, Obama, should even be qualified to run the country and be the president. And it, of course, set off a lot of sensitivity inside of that circle and the floor is self-policed. You know, it was like, you have your, the older guys there that are supposed to make sure that everything is orderly and, and there are rules that are, you know, some written, some unwritten, but at the end of the day, it's just about really respecting each other. And this guy just literally hauled off. I don't know, maybe he was having a bad morning or the wrong, you know, he had decaf that day, but for whatever reason, he just decided that he would voice the way he truly felt. And it escalated all the way up to, you know, the powers that be at the Merck. And I was asked to bury it. I was asked, I was asked by some pretty high level folks up there to bury and, and take it and eat it because we were moving towards an acquisition. The Chicago Merck was going to acquire the New York Merck and we were going to go public. And in that, there would be lots of money at stake. And listen, like for you as a young trader and, you know, someone that wants to have a future, it'll be wise for you to just eat it. Don't make any issues. You know, don't get blacklisted because you won't be able to make a living and you won't have your career intact. And out of fear, as a young guy, I was what? I must have been... 20, I must, what, 27, 28 years old, 27, 28 years old at the time, like young kid. I'm like, of course, like if I have these elders and these mentors and these executives and chairmen all telling me the same thing, I, I should just listen to them because I trusted them to move me into the direction that I had mm -hmm. already found success in as a young guy. And so I, I buried it and, and it never sat well with me. 
like to this day, it doesn't sit well with me because I'm like, why would I bury who I am and what I do and what I feel? At least an opportunity to just have a conversation. If that's how you feel about me, even in the business setting, then that means you're actually affecting the way I transact during the day too. Yeah. You know, so the, the concentric circles that come out of that one, you know, that one toxic or poison moment affects us in a way that that really does alter the the future or direction of where you're going. And so for me, that was so impactful that I decided that that would, I would never let that happen again. And I would always stay true to who I am as a person. I would only do business with those that I feel I would like to do life with. It's a huge rule of mine. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't feel like I could do life with you, I don't want to do business with you. I don't care if you're, you know, offering me like the greatest gig in all of the world. Like, you know, we spend so much time working our craft and, and crafting our work. Why shouldn't that be joyous and mm-hmm. joyful and meaningful in exchange with the people in which we choose to do life with? So I never forget that. And it's, I've carried it for a long time and it's helped me make better decisions. So that's just one example. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, there's, there's numerous examples. And then it's like the other side of the coin for me is, well, we don't, we actually, we don't know if we're going to offend you or not, because we don't actually know what you are. We, you know, like you could be Spanish, you could be Middle Eastern, you could be South American, whatever, you know, it's like, but we know you're other at the end of the day. And that does that. That's a whole nother conversation and dynamic as well. All too real, all too real. Thank you, Martin, for sharing, you know, that personal experience. I mean, eight ninety to five, and don't get blacklisted. It's all too real. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned, you know, sort of mentors who were trying to guide you, but maybe even guiding you the wrong way or they didn't know. And yeah. it's just this whole thing, but not the right thing, maybe, you know, what about some mentors that, that did sort of work with you and help you and do the right things and sort of guide you oh, along your path? Who, who are some of those folks? Well, number one, I am very fortunate to have incredible mentors that even in wrong advice, there is no, like it never was. It's, it's always purposed. It's always right on time. And I never look at it as the wrong advice. And and then ultimately, you know, you got to rely on your critical thinking, right? Like take as much information and as much wisdom and guidance, and then you have to synthesize it and figure out what's best for you. And that really takes a lot of introspection to really understand who you are and and knowing what either fulfills you or puts passion and drive into your, into your tank and then, you know, go forth. But let me give, man, mentors, Simon Beltran, not the baseball player, but Simon Beltran is uh, an amazing example. Executive, he was a senior VP over at Shutterfly for a period of time, left there, went to a big printing company at the four, I always get the name wrong, it's four something. And then now doing, you know, great things on the agency side and really is literally like changing the agency model. He has been phenomenal and an amazing source of, of knowledge and wealth and direction. Who else is a great mentor that I, that I, that I truly value is a gentleman. His name is Tony Berbilis. He is the senior advisor for the wealthiest Greek family on the planet. I actually used to work for him on the trading floor 
when I was a young guy and his direction and his knowledge and acumen is, is invaluable, you know, on, on the investment banking, private equity side, and then just the life side, right? I really have a laundry list of, of folks. I, I'll give you another one, Gary Sheffield, major league baseball player. Hmm. Gary Sheffield is an incredible mentor that I value tremendously. And not only he used to be a client, but he and I developed an amazing relationship where he just sees things differently, right? Like the guy's background is incredible. He was like the first MLB guy to negotiate his own contracts hmm. and really just sees things from a very different perspective. And, and that's value. I, I, I love that. But yeah, those are three that just come to top of mind, but there, there's so many. I owe so much to so many people. <laughs> You know, Martin, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you don't want to work with someone that you wouldn't do life with, right? I think, I think yeah. you phrased it. I want to ask you about work-life balance. Is there a such thing as, as separating your work life from, you know, your personal life? Or is it just everyone has one life and you, you choose to spend the time how you want to spend it? Yeah, my wife. Her name is Shanoa Maxwell. She's an emotional intelligence expert. And before that, she was a Hollywood leading lady. And she has helped me put time into perspective because we have to put value on, we have to assign value to what's important to us as individuals in life. And if you are fortunate enough to know yourself well enough that you push yourself into a space where your vocation becomes or is synonymous with what brings you joy or part of what brings you joy, then you'll allocate that time, you know, accordingly, you know, and it's important to have family, right? Like your family, your relationships, your friendships, your partnerships, those are all value to, to you, right? And if you don't have those marked as value, then where will they sit in the finite space of time that you have to allocate to living, right? And so, and then it just becomes this exchange of, uh, you know, like this cost exchange. Like I'm going to spend, you know, an hour of my day doing self-care because with self-care that helps me perform better, better at whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to never miss one of my kids' games because not only does that bring me joy and value, but it also brings joy and value to a little life form that, that you're responsible for, right? So I think, you know, does it all become this one big ball of wax? Um, yes and no. It's kind of a, there's no black and white answer. There's, there's this gray area in there. But I think most importantly, you just, you really have to sit and have time with yourself to really understand what value is important to like what things are important to you. And, and, and yes, we, we get this thing called a check that allows us to, <laughs> to do more of those things that bring us joy from our work and our jobs and our vocations. And you got to just find that balance and that mix for me, you know, managing teams on the corporate side, I found that it was, it was so necessary to just give folks what I call the surprise and delight time, right? Like, just take the day, do what it is that you need to do. Right. Like, and, and even more so during COVID when everybody, you know, went virtual, it, it seemed like the line between like walking into the office and 
now all of a sudden having your office in, in your home, like <laughs> it, it created huge inefficiencies in time management where people just had to learn. And so there were times where we would just, we would tell people like, okay, Thursday, Friday, don't open your computer. Don't open an electronic, like just take time to be in real life. And, and it's so important for, for perspective. Gotcha. Gotcha. What would, uh, 2020 Martin tell 2000 Martin, what advice would you give Martin 20 years ago? Wow. Connect to purpose via scratch that <laughs> scratch that. I would tell 20, 2020 Martin would tell 2000 Martin to welcome help. Mm. Welcome help. You're not in a vacuum. No success is ever gained inside of a vacuum. Not only welcome help, ask for help, no matter how elementary you may think it is. And no matter how, no matter how prideful you believe you, you are being, mm -hmm. remove your pride, ask for help. The three greatest words someone ever told me is, I don't know. Yeah. Three, three greatest words ever. I don't know. I don't know welcomes possibility and acceptance of help and the offering of help. And so in that, I would tell my 2000 Martin that. Awesome. All right. Fun question here for you. Go. Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name, you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Top three apps I use on my phone. Um, I'm surprisingly like a low tech dude. I use my messaging. No, am I, am I allowed to use messaging? No, right? Oh. No. All right. Then all right. I'll go with I'll go with Instagram. I'll go with I am now interested in this app, app called Triller. Okay. Tell us. Um, the, Triller is like they're like the TikTok competitor. Okay. But they're doing things a little bit differently because their algorithm is amazing so apparently this algorithm like when you're making your little triller videos it it overlays the music and the feeling you want like perfectly to the video that you've that you've downloaded or, or want to upload so i'm enamored by the algorithm because i it's, it's it's beautifully elegant so ig triller and then i like i like my my cryptocurrency apps because i you know, even though I'm not trading anymore, like officially, that's not my vocation. <laughs> I, I definitely still have the trading needle in my arm. So I do my little, crypto, <laughs> so, little cryptocurrency. Yeah. Sure. You get the same feeling anytime you pass a basketball court as well, too. So. Yeah. You know, the body can't do what I used to, but you know, every once in a while. <laughs> well, that's great. Martin Morse, thanks for hanging out with us. Our audience often likes to stay in touch and learn a little bit more. Yeah. Where can our audience find you? What are some ways they can find you? The website, mmleverage.com, that's the, the firm and the agency that's been around for a decade or, or a little bit more. And then also Twitter, Martin J. Morse, and then Instagram at MJMII, and you know LinkedIn, always LinkedIn. Easy. We're connected, right? We're the network effect. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much for hanging with us again, Martin. Yeah. Thanks again to our sponsor, Publisher Clearinghouse, the leading media and commerce company serving America's heartland for supporting this podcast. 
You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcasts and look for the logo. Thanks, everyone.